When you notice the sermon title today, I wonder what comes to mind. Salvation. Is that a positive word for you or a negative word? Salvation is a very important word for people of faith. It intends to name our yearning, what we hope for, what we desire, the very purpose of our life, salvation. It intends to name it. But is it, is it a positive word or a negative word for you? Unfortunately, salvation has too often been associated with one thing, going to heaven. It has been assumed that it's about the afterlife And many of us might have connected salvation with that either-or proposition of heaven or hell. Through the generations, Christianity has been, unfortunately, presented as mostly about being saved. Hence, salvation. But that can be very negative. We wonder if we believe well enough. We wonder if we've behaved well enough. And all of this intends to imply that salvation is a gift from God. All of it. So salvation conversations can easily generate fear and anxiety. Salvation conversations have certainly led to exclusion of people. By what they believe or didn't believe. By who they were. Do they belong? People have been told this in various ways. Where's the grace of God in that? Where is the good news in a faith that mostly generates anxiety and fear and exclusion? Salvation can be very complicated. It can be a very negative word. But that's not the word or the meaning that's mostly found in the Scriptures The word salvation and its sibling words appear more than 500 times in the Bible. And salvation in the Bible is not mostly about the afterlife. The actual word salvation in the Hebrew has to do with the creation or enlarging of space. That's what God does. Recovers spaciousness for us offers prosperity for us, well-being, especially when we're feeling the confinement, the all-too-often closed-in sense of oppression, or all the burdens that beat us down and constrict our lives or our perception of it. God offers spaciousness. God creates room, salvation. Salvation means liberation from bondage. It means release into the promised land. Salvation means rescue from despair, rescue from exile, rescue from defeat. In the Bible, salvation has to do often with land or with opportunities or with possibilities, and all of them come from God. 
So, if you're a Washington Nationals fan like Roger Ginch or Kathleen Murphy or some others who've been long-suffering and continuously frustrated across the decades, you may be feeling today a sense of salvation this week with the thrilling Game 7 victory in the World Series. In this sense, salvation gets some clarity and aligns kind of close to the biblical meaning. No longer beaten down, no longer oppressed, no longer frustrated, no longer defeated, but joy, celebration, spaciousness, boldness. Got to be careful that it doesn't lead to arrogance or conceit or anyway. In the New Testament, this same image is developed further. The very name of Jesus means He saves us. That's what His name means. He gives us space. He opens up possibilities for life and hope, especially when life feels confining and constricted and worn down and defeated. Because of Jesus, we're not covered up with despair or death. Because of Jesus, we're not covered up with a sense of burden and defeat. We have new life. That's actually the message of baptism. You've been given life. Because of Jesus, we're not in bondage anymore to selfishness. We belong to God, and we're freed, freed to move into space where we love and serve God, love what God loves, do what God calls us to be about. That's salvation. It's a present reality, not about the afterlife. Moreover, salvation is for us, and it's for all people, so no exclusion. Our Constitution in the Presbyterian Church has a number of great ends that remind us what the church is about, and the very first great end of the church, we say, is the proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. That's what we're meant to be about as God's people in the church. Not generating fear or anxiety, but spaciousness, life, prosperity, wholeness, hope. This is what God wants us to be about. Here's how the Scottish theologian John Bailey puts it. Christ didn't come to earth to tell us about the afterlife. Christ didn't come to earth to merely tell us what we ought to do to give us advice. He did not come to give us good advice. That was mostly not what we needed. There are plenty of people who are ready with their advice. Advice is cheap. Bailey says what Christ offered was the power of God unto salvation. Salvation means from blindness to seeing. Salvation means from brokenness to wholeness. Salvation means from death to life. Salvation means from infirmity and illness to well-being and wholeness, from fear to trust, from frenzied to focused and faithful. Our gospel story today is a picture of salvation. It's the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus the name means the righteous one. But some of us learned something different about Zacchaeus in Sunday school. He was the 
wee little man. Remember? He was short in stature, and he was short in his scruples until he met Jesus. Frederick Wiechner describes him as a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job. <laughs> Here's the story of Zacchaeus from Luke 19. Listen. Jesus entered Jericho, and he was passing through. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and a rich man. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up, and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down, and he was happy to welcome Jesus. And all who saw it began to grumble. And they said, He has gone to the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there, and he said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay them back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. So this familiar story appears only in one gospel, the gospel of Luke. And in Luke's gospel, there are lots of stories about transformation and salvation. When rich people are involved in these stories, it can go either way. But Zacchaeus is an interesting case for Jesus because he's a tax collector. And we've seen Jesus engage with other tax collectors very positively in these stories. In fact, he's called Zacchaeus the chief tax collector. That phrase is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible or in Greek literature, so we're not sure what it means, but it seems to imply that Zacchaeus is deeply embedded in the corrupt tax system of the Roman government. And here's what we know. When you're deeply embedded in corruption... It's unlikely that you're going to be privately upstanding and righteous, right? What surrounds us affects us. This is why the company we keep is really important. We see this even in the chaos of these days in our lives. It's almost impossible to be privately moral and righteous and also part of a corrupt and unrighteous culture or government or system. But Jesus has been attentive and he's been sympathetic to tax collectors. And here he meets Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. It's seemingly not tax collectors who pose a challenge for Jesus. He welcomes them. It is the rich who pose a challenge for Jesus and is the rich that Jesus warns aggressively about. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? We had that a few weeks ago. Some of us have been reading the story of the rich young ruler 
or we'll be reading it soon in our second course groups. Neither of those stories ended very well for the rich person, by the way. Now we have the chief tax collector who's also very rich, Zacchaeus. What will happen to him as he encounters Jesus? An interesting opportunity. As we've seen in other stories, the crowd gets in the way of Zacchaeus connecting with Jesus. You remember the story of the woman who tried to get to Jesus to find healing and she had to reach through the crowd and touch the hem of Jesus' garment just to get healing? Remember the paralyzed man who was so paralyzed that his friends had to carry him because the crowd was so large to the top of the roof? And they lowered him down so he could be one who encountered and received healing from Jesus. Crowds can present problems from people interacting with, Z with Jesus. So Zacchaeus runs ahead, it says, runs ahead of the crowd and climbs a tree because he's short and he wants to see Jesus. And then take note of what happens in verses 5 and 6 Everything turns on these two verses. Jesus looks up in the tree, and he sees Zacchaeus, and he commands him to come down, and he offers to stay at Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus' response to these things that Jesus does, looks up, sees him, commands him to come down, and says, I need to stay at your house. Zacchaeus' response is immediate and full of joy. He hurries down, and when the crowd objects, warning to get in the way again of Zacchaeus and his salvation, Zacchaeus comes forward with evidence of what's happening in him and around him. He expresses his desire to give half of his possessions to the poor, and if he's defrauded anyone, he will repay it four times. What does Jesus say? Today, salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was a climber of more than trees. He was, as the great hymn says, rich, rich in things and poor in soul. He was a social climber for sure who sold himself and sold his morals in order to participate in a corrupt system. And he got rich doing it. Lots of people do this. In all likelihood, he had climbed every other economic and political ladder also. Stepping on others on the way up to being chief tax collector. We know people like this. Selfish. Focused inward only on what is best for them, worse than ignoring the poor. He stomped on the poor to get where he got, making the poor even poorer, no doubt. We know people like this. We know systems like this. But Jesus ordered him to come down. Come down from the tree. Come down from his high horse. Come down from his wrong ways because salvation has come to this house. It's not about the afterlife. It's about this life and Zacchaeus' life and all of our lives. Salvation means freedom from bondage. The heavy bondage 
that comes from abusing people, from stomping on people. Salvation is release from captivity. The captivity of loneliness when you deceive people and, and when corruption becomes such a part of your life. Salvation is rescue from exile, from fear, from anxiety, to a life of wholeness and purpose. This is what we all long for, yearn for, desire want to be about in our own lives. Life free from guilt, life free to focus on important things like loving, like serving, like helping, like doing, like giving. This is what we're made for. This is our calling. This is participating in salvation. It's about the now. Come down from the tree, Zacchaeus. Come and start over. Come and find real life, salvation. Cynthia Borgio summarizes it like this. Our only truly essential human task here, Jesus teaches us, is to grow beyond the survival instincts of the animal brain and the ego self-centered operating system and so find selfless joy and generosity find our way to full personhood. Jesus' mission, she says, is to show us how to do this. Jesus commanded Zacchaeus to come down. Come down and receive salvation. Discover a new life, a life of generosity, a life of loving, a life of serving. Salvation has come to this house, he says, because Jesus and all the crowds saw Zacchaeus' joy and then heard about his generosity and his commitment that reached into the community. He's going to give half of his possessions to the poor. He's going to repay anybody who he personally defrauded four times. That's way more than required or even asked. It's a communal reaction, a personal reaction, transformation salvation. God's grace welcomes a despised resident of Jericho, the chief tax collector, into a community of God's people. He too is a child of Abraham, Jesus says. Imagine, imagine a sawed-off little social disaster with a big bank account and a crooked job, and Jesus welcomes him, even him, anyway. Welcome aboard. And this gracious welcome leads to a gracious response. Help, justice for the poor, generosity, it's a way of life. A way of life. See, it's not about the afterlife. It's about reordering life now. Jesus intends to reestablish our priorities. Salvation and Jesus want us to determine how we're going to live. What are we going to invest in? What are we going to divest from? What are we going to keep? What are we going to give away? What are we going to do as these people who have been given salvation? What guides our thinking and our acting? One of the ways we divest, one of the ways we invest is in our annual effort to commit and recommit to God's work through this church. This church intends to be about salvation, giving space 
All we do in this place is releasing from bondage. That's what we strive for. Rescuing from despair. Giving people space, growth, purpose. All we do here is related to this movement from fear to faith. From anxiety to hope. From frenzied to focused and faithful lives. This is what we're about. Striving to help people. All of us. Trust God. Serve God. Be about God's work in the world. May we seek to be increasingly generous all of us like Zacchaeus salvation has come to our house and we seek to participate with God in the inbreaking of God's love and light in this community and in this city and in the whole world as we make our pledges and give our gifts and tithes and focus our lives our devotion on God's work in the church God's work through the church God's work for the world through the church this is our calling. In, in his latest book, Second Mountain, David Brooke talks a lot about his faith. And in this chapter, it's a long chapter on philosophy and faith, he notes, and I quote, Faith is said to be a sip that arouses a life. I love that. Faith is a sip that arouses a life. This is what happened to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had a sip of Jesus, and it aroused his life for joy and generosity and rearranging everything. Salvation has come to his house. And in a moment, we get a sip of Jesus, a taste of Jesus at this table. We've been to this table before many times. May it be a sip that arouses a life of faith, knowing that salvation has come to our house. And may that salvation coming to our house get us recommitted to deepening our commitments, broadening our loves, being about generosity, focused on justice, focused on trusting God and serving God, investing in the right things, divesting from other things, salvation aroused for faithfulness. A sip that arouses a life, a life so freed that we focus on freedom for others, a life so rescued that we want to rescue the world, a life so transformed that we want to be about justice and peace and purpose all through the world. That's our calling. We let go of selfishness and strive towards selflessness as God's people. Salvation. It is a fantastic gift. May we live into it with how we live and love and serve and give today, tomorrow, forever. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, Lord. Help our unbelief. And by your Spirit, your powerful spirit. Show us the way to live into, from, and for salvation following Christ our Lord. Amen.